1: I'm Jenna Ellis and welcome to Just The Truth Podcast, sponsored by the Thomas More Society, which is a not-for-profit national public interest law firm dedicated to restoring respect in law for life, family, and religious liberty. You can find them at thomasmoresociety.org. A huge shakeup happening in Israel yesterday with the ouster of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. I think this surprised a lot of people, particularly here in America, but across the world. So joining me now to talk about the new prime minister, what this means moving forward for the future of Israel's government, and also what the evangelical community here in America thinks of all this is our good friend Joel Rosenberg, who's the editor-in-chief of All Israel News and has a great piece that's up. I retweeted it. Everyone should read it. The headline is exclusive. Major evangelical leaders congratulate, vow to pray for, new Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, while also thanking Netanyahu for his extraordinary accomplishments. So, Joel, thank you so much for joining me tonight.
0: My pleasure, Jenna. This is a big, big deal over here. And I think it's only just beginning to, the news only just beginning to break across the United States. I don't think people who weren't watching closely had any idea this was coming.
1: Yeah, I think it was a surprise uh, to a lot of people. I know when I saw all of the breaking news happen, um, it was something that I certainly didn't think was going to happen yesterday. So uh, explain the political situation there, what happened uh, to oust Netanyahu, and who is this new prime minister? I mean, I've even heard his name pronounced a couple of different ways today, which I think shows that not a lot of people even know who he is.
0: Well, that's right. And that's one of the reasons that we began the All Israel News uh, website uh, last September because there just isn't that much coverage of what's going on here in America's number one ally in the Middle East. And admittedly, Jenna, that's understandable. There was, you know, there was COVID, there was church closures, there was racial riots, there was the elections, as you know uh, better than anyone. So there was a lot of things on America's plates and they got distracted from, but rightly so, from Israel and the Middle East. What we've been doing at All Israel News is we've been tracking what I would call the tremors. that We have seen that something was coming, something was building, and we have been predicting that it was very likely uh, that we were seeing the end of the Netanyahu era, and it happened yesterday. And so where are we? What we have is Prime Minister Netanyahu is the longest serving prime minister in the modern history of Israel, and he's gone. Now he's the opposition leader, and he's been replaced by a protégé of his, somebody that he recruited into politics, that he mentored, that he developed. But then Netanyahu had a really bitter falling out with Naftali Bennett. Bennett ended up going into a different political party. And yesterday, the protégé removed the mentor from power.
1: Wow. Uh, so, so really, in terms of the political landscape, uh, do you anticipate that new Prime Minister Bennett is going to continue uh, to lead in the same policy fashion that Netanyahu has, even though now he's a member of the opposition party?
0: I do think that. And I, because, again, Naftali Bennett is the protege of Netanyahu. In many ways, he's the spitting image of Netanyahu in terms of worldview. He's right-wing, he's, um, he, and he, he believes that Israel should not be giving away lots of land. He's, he's concerned that's going to lead to more terrorism. He, he's opposed to the Iran nuclear deal that uh, President Obama and, um, and now now President Biden negotiated, and that Biden wants to take the United States back into. Um, he's, a, he's a hawk on uh, foreign policy, on the threats, facing Israel. He loves the United States. His parents are actually American. Uh, Naftali Bennett was born and raised in Israel, but his parents are immigrants to, Jewish immigrants to Israel from California. He he speaks English very, very well. He was in in an elite special forces unit that, the same one that Netanyahu served in. He became very successful in business and became a real free market entrepreneurial, you know, reformist like Netanyahu. Netanyahu, again, recruited him as his chief of staff in Netanyahu's office uh, years ago. So this is a guy that is just, a he's 49, and Netanyahu, I think, is 71, so there's a generational difference. But in almost every other way, um, not only is Naftali Bennett, uh, in terms of policy, in terms of vision and values, the same person as Netanyahu, Um, he actually has been trained in political combat by Netanyahu.
1: That is really fascinating. I think a lot of people uh, are very interested to know about this, and I appreciate you giving the history. And so for those of us in America, of course, who are very pro-Israel, uh, like like you and I, I mean, of course, you're coming from Israel uh, live for us tonight. Uh, but as far as the evangelical leaders, your piece in All Israel News talked about uh, some very prominent evangelical leaders who have uh, now supported uh, Bennett and who are saying that they are encouraged by this. And so uh, what is the response that that you're seeing and why from the American evangelical community that is pro-Israel.
0: Well, this is interesting, Jenna. Uh, we've been tracking this story now for several weeks, sensing this was coming, reporting every angle at All Israel News. But but about two weeks ago, there was a prominent American evangelical who attacked Naftali Bennett, called him a betrayer and, and a liar, and said that, uh, well, he said all kinds of t- actually terrible things about Bennett. And then he said that 100% of evangelicals would turn against Bennett. We covered that, but we've also been interviewing literally dozens and dozens and dozens of evangelical leaders. And it turns out that this person was an outlier. It's not true, it's not accurate. Look, evangelical leaders will probably have disagreements with this new government, not with Bennett primarily, because Bennett is, is a younger Netanyahu. But to build this government, Net, uh, Naftali Bennett had to build it with centrists and with left wingers, and the first ever Arab Israeli party ever, ever in in history, to be part of an Israeli government. Now, most Israelis think this is good; that it's sort of a a, a very unified across the board uh, uh, government, meaning that it's. Um, it's not going to do something crazy in either direction. But I think the way this one particular evangelical leader was thinking of it is like, Trump is gone and now it's Biden. No, it's like Trump is gone and Pence is in. Like you might have disagreements on personality or, I mean, you'd, you'd have a hard time, you know, personality for sure on Trump, Trump and Pence. But the policy but, is going to be very like, similar. Totally the right. same. So, um, hmm. and in fact, It was Netanyahu who was trying to recruit the same people to be as part of his government. He couldn't do it. Four rounds of elections. Well,
1: and Jill Rosenberg will have to leave it there. Thank you so much and catch up on all Israel news for everything that is breaking. We really appreciate his updates as always. When we come back, if you missed the speech from the Young Women's Leadership Summit, uh, I shared a very personal story, and you're going to see that coming up next here on Just the Truth. So good to be here with you at Turning Point USA. This is the Young Women's Leadership Summit, and this has been all about leadership. And I have just absolutely loved meeting so many of you. And you have come up to me uh, throughout our time here and have really inspired me with your stories of what you want to do with your life, what you're already doing. And I know that all of you here today want have influence. You want to use your voice. And as I was preparing to speak today, I thought to myself, well, I could come out and talk about the Constitution, which I love. Yes, we all love, right? Yes, America, we love our flag. And I could talk to you about election integrity, which we need, right? Yes, we absolutely need. But you have actually inspired me to tell you a story Of influence and it's something that I don't talk about that often but I'm going to share it with you today because it's really important the question that you have asked me as you all have sat here in this room and have come up to me has been how do I share my voice how did you go through law school how did you get to where you are and the question really should be what motivates you And that's the question that I want you to consider today. What motivates you? Because as you're sitting here, you want influence and you want to use your voice. We've all taken the selfies, we've all taken the Barbie box picture, right? We've all had so much fun. But I want to tell you a story of uh, the things that have influenced me in my life. Because as we go through life, the most important influence in my life has been learning to trust the Lord. And absolutely, and has been learning to trust the Lord through the difficult circumstances. Because you see, I never intended to be here, ever. If I had tried to plan my life, I would be a prosecutor in Colorado, in a tiny county, doing the work of victim advocacy. That's what I wanted for my life. That was my intention for law school. And at 14 years old, which I know is actually younger, then I think all of you in this room I was inspired to go to law school uh, after spending a week learning about the law and I fell in love with law don't ever think that God can't give you a calling at a very young age but trust him with the path I had no idea what God had for me and so at 14 I knew I wanted to go to law school but then at 17 I was the victim of a sexual assault and I don't talk about this very often because it's not pretty. And that changed my life and it made me want to be a prosecutor. It made me want to go into victim advocacy and work with young women who've also been victims like I was. And I had all of the questions of, Lord, am I still pure? Will any man like me anymore? Um, What did I do? I mean, all of these things that if you know someone or you yourself have ever been a victim like that, you understand those questions and you understand how deeply and profoundly it changes you. And I had to go and testify. I had to uh, obviously report and it was the most difficult thing that I ever went through. And through that experience and through the mentorship that I received from the prosecutor on that case, he told me something very important. He said, Jenna, my job is the best job in the world because my client is justice. And that stuck with me, and I wanted my client to be justice. So I intended to go to law school and be a prosecutor because that was everything to me. And I put as my highest value, justice. And justice, of course, is an incredibly important aspect of the character and nature of God. But justice, true meaningful justice, is nothing without truth. And I still had to learn that. So as I went through college and I was intending to go to law school, uh, obviously the case progressed. Um, the, The perpetrator received his sentence and there was a civil case as well. And uh, so I had to go and testify for that as well. And of course, on the civil side, the only thing that the court can give you to say we're gonna make this right is money. And I went and testified and I told the judge my story. The other side was so profoundly disturbing that they didn't even send a lawyer to defend. So it was just me, my lawyer, and my parents in the courtroom. And I told the judge my story. And then after, uh, after that, he looked at me and he said, so, you're asking for this amount of money. I have a question for you. Do you think that that's fair? And I'm 19, 20 at the time, and I just paused. And I looked at him and I said, I don't know, <laughs> honestly. I don't know. And I said, that's what my lawyers advised me. Um, all I can tell you is I don't think that the amount of money matters. What matters is justice. Absolutely. And he looked at me and, and kind of laughed almost like in a surprised way and said, I think that's the most honest answer I've ever heard in this courtroom. And instead of giving me what I had asked for, he gave me the most that he could under the statute which was amazing, right? And that was a huge win technically under the law, right? But as I went back and I was praying about life and this working through and processing through uh, this trauma and thankfully I have have amazing parents, I have an amazing family. For those of you who your parents have raised you in a Christian home, be thankful and grateful for that. Uh, Just grab onto them. They are your best friends. My, my mom and my dad are still my best friends, and, um, and as I sat here processing this, um, I was at the time a student at Cedarville University. That's where, uh, does anyone go to Cedarville here? No, no, okay, maybe Liberty? <laughs> Woo! Okay, (laughs) awesome, yeah. Well, Cedarville's another Christian college out in Ohio. My older brother had gone there, so I kind of followed in his footsteps. Um, I ended up graduating from Colorado State because they didn't have a journalism program at the time. Yeah, yay, go Rams, okay. Um, And so I was there and, and this was God's timing in my life because as I was at this Christian school that I ultimately wouldn't graduate from, I talked to the then president of the university uh, after a chapel service, because he spoke much like this audience today. He spoke and said something that always stuck with me, where he said, if you want to have influence, look at what the person of Jesus Christ did. He, yes, he obviously evangelized. We are taught, go into the world and preach the gospel. But he had disciples. Make sure that you are making disciples of men. For all of us who are so concerned about the numbers and the following and the likes and retweets, I'm going to ask you to to put that aside for a second and to consider what motivates you. Because it should be, if you really want influence, it should be discipleship in Jesus Christ. Because he told me, he told me that if you truly want to make a difference, in this life, look at, and he he had these slides, and he said, look at the math, the science, right? Uh, We should tell this to Dr. Fauci, but the science is that if you have a stadium of 30,000 people and you can speak on the largest stage one time, consider that versus if you impact, directly disciple only two people, And then each of those two people disciples two other people. And as it keeps growing and growing and building, it's not that long before you are in the tens of millions of people that are truly influenced. Now, that's not the bright stage. That's not the Instagram following. That's not what the world is going to tell you influences. And we, of course, need to use those tools. We need to have influence. But if you are sitting in this big auditorium and you are thinking, how am I ever gonna have influence? <laughs> I'm just me, look at, look at all of the other women here. Look at what someone else my age has already done. I'm here to tell you, God doesn't waste time. He will not waste your voice and your story. And that's the lesson that I learned. So after uh, this, the president of Cedarville at the time said that, uh, after praying about it, I thought, you know, maybe he can help me figure out what to do with this settlement. And I went up to him and I asked him, just as a freshman, I said, can I, can I talk to you? Can I have a meeting? And he was like, I've never had a student come up and ask me that before, okay. So, uh, but I wasn't shy, uh, like I'm, I'm never shy. And so I met with him later, and what ultimately resulted has been an endowment of a scholarship for young men and women who want to go to law school with the purpose of pursuing victim advocacy. And this has been, thank you. (laughs) And that was something that I realized how much God can do with one person. Because that award is still going on. That was in, I think the first year was 2004. So we're coming up on almost 20 years. There were people who received that scholarship and graduated law school before me. And that was how much of an influence I could have. And every year I still get notes from the recipients of this scholarship saying, thank you, I couldn't have gone to law school without this gift. And it reminded me how much God is the one that writes your story. So that profoundly impacted my life, and that was, I was set. I wanted to be a prosecutor. My life, you know, was, that path was set. And God, like he does, changes our path. Because Proverbs says that a man's heart plans his way, but it's the Lord who establishes his steps. And I was a prosecutor. And I carried with me all of this, all of this mentorship, all of this understanding that my client is justice, right? And I'm gonna go and I'm gonna help and I'm gonna be uh, the victim advocate and I'm going to do great things for the kingdom in court. And I got there and I realized how political it is in a way that I was not prepared for. And I was asked on a number of occasions to prosecute cases that I believed uh, were unethical prosecutions that were politically motivated. And I had a choice. What motivated me? Was it wanting to advance my career? Was it saying, well, God, I'm finally here? Or was I going to choose God over everything else? That has always been the question of what motivates me. Will I choose God or not? Because there are no other options. Let me tell you, there are no other options. Every time that you are faced with a challenge, you will have the choice. Are you going to choose God or not God? And I had to choose God. And so I was fired from that job. I lost my opportunity to be a prosecutor. And um, as some of you may know, uh, there are only so many openings in the state and so you have to kind of wait for the rotation. So a friend of mine who actually had gone through something very similar in that office said, well, why don't you come over and work as a defense attorney while you're waiting to go back into prosecution? That was a paradigm shift. I thought, what? God, that's not what you have for me. I don't wanna be a defense attorney. And yet God used that in my life to be able to reach so many people for the Lord and to sit with them, yeah. And in a way, I never anticipated to sit with them at the darkest time of their life in, in prison. I would go into prison and meet with them, and I would take three things with me, my statute book, my notepad, and my Bible. And I'd just sit there, on you know have those on the table, and we'd talk through you know, everything they're going through, and inevitably, everyone always said, well, why, why did you bring the Bible? And I said, oh. Because counselor at law, I take that seriously. Counselor, right? And I said, um, yeah. And and I said to them, well, you are facing the most difficult challenge in your life as well. Because a lot of these people uh, I found out were being prosecuted politically or uh, just there were offenses that they were overcharged. That's a common tactic of DA's offices. They will overcharge so that they can get a plea bargain because you don't wanna risk trial. So I said, you're gonna have to go through the greatest challenge probably that you've ever faced. And how are you going to deal with that emotionally? How are you gonna deal with the next eight to 12 months at least? Do you know Jesus Christ? Often they didn't, or they said, I had a client one time who said, I used to. I used to know God but now I'm here because I strayed. And I said, well, let me tell you, God doesn't waste time. God does not take anything, whether we are a victim of other people's decisions, which you will, we live in a fallen world. You will be a victim of other people's sin, but you are not a victim. That's what I learned. We talk about empowering women, You are never a victim of other people's choices because you still have the opportunity to turn that around for something good and to choose God. Never, ever, ever let anyone tell you that you are a victim. (laughs) The culture wanted to tell me that I was a victim, and I said, No, I choose God, I choose His identity. And God will also use your own mistakes. And we have all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. And if you are sitting here and you either have embraced the identity of a victim or you have embraced the lie from the culture that you should be a victim or you have embraced the lie of the culture that you have made such bad mistakes that God can never, ever do anything great with you, that is not true. And you need to dismiss that lie and say, get behind me, Satan. Absolutely now. Because God doesn't waste time, and you have the choice. What motivates you? Are you going to choose God, or are you going to choose something else? So in my time as a defense attorney um, for a number of years, that gave me the opportunity to go back to something that had really bothered me in law school. This might surprise you. I hated constitutional law in law school. Absolutely hated it. And now, and it's funny, because everybody knows me as, you're the constitutional law attorney, and I'm thinking, God has such a sense of humor. uh, Because I hated it. And it was my worst grade in law school, uh, because it didn't make sense to me. It did not make sense. That is, Abby Johnson just said up here, when we're trying to make abortion unthinkable, the Bible says that God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So how can it be that pre 19 that states could have limits on the hideousness of abortion, and then suddenly now we're finding some right that is in the penumbra of the, you know, in between the lines of the Constitution just because a majority of the Supreme Court says it is, well, moral truth doesn't change. So how can I go into a courtroom and say that and have a judge not tell me, well, Ms. Ellis, I don't believe in the Bible, so... You know, take, take your stuff to the church. That's what a lot of people tell me. Go and preach in the church, not in the state. Separation of church and state. So I had to come up with a better argument. And I had to say, how can I advocate for the truth of constitutional law and the truth of our founding principles without first saying you have to believe in the truth of God? And so I researched a lot on my own, and ultimately, uh, through my dad, listen to your parents, they'll give you great advice. Um, I was going through a really terrible breakup um, at the time, and I had been talking about um, writing this book and how I had been speaking on this topic. I was uh, then an allied attorney with Alliance Defending Freedom, getting into uh, actually practicing in this area. And uh, I had thought I was going to be married, have kids, my life was gonna change, I was gonna get out of defense work, and that fell apart. And so my dad was like, come with me on a business trip, you know, just, you need to get away for a little bit. And he gave me a great piece of advice. He said, what motivates you? And he said, "Um, I think that the best thing, and my dad would never say you have to, he's always just the advisor, right? But it's always a good idea to listen to your parents. And he said, um, I think that God is gonna show you your next step, but you need to do tomorrow one thing that God wants you to do. Then he'll show you the next step. Because when Psalm says that God lights your path, that doesn't mean he illuminates everything. If God had told me then that, and this was probably eight years ago, If God had told me then that this is where I'd be now, I wouldn't have believed it. I would have said, no, that's somebody else's path. That's not mine. I don't want anything to do with that. I would have never believed it. But he said, do one thing today that God has for you and then he will show you the next step. And he said, and if I can suggest something, Jenna, you need to write your book. You've been talking about this for a long time. I think that's the one thing that God would have you to do that summer. I spent the entire summer sitting at a Starbucks writing my book. And through that one thing, I then became a professor at Colorado Christian University teaching, uh, yay, go CCU, Uh, teaching young men and women about the truth of the law and how it's not arbitrary and how you can be advocates for truth. And that completely changed my path. Because God had used the suffering in life to change me to where he wanted me to be. And at every single open door, I had the choice, do I choose God or do I choose what I think I want, not God, right? And so at every point, I started doing media. I started doing interviews about my book. I called up local radio stations and said, hi, would you have me on? I had um, a degree in journalism, I'd done written media, I had no media experience at all. And I just started talking because I had something to share and something to say, something that motivated me. Because you see, I learned that justice is not the highest value of the character and nature of God. As much as I wanted it very deeply at age 17, I learned that true, meaningful justice can't happen separate and apart from truth. And truth is the personification of Jesus Christ. And that we have to move forward proclaiming truth. So my life became, I am going to speak truth in every possible opportunity I can. So I started doing media as much as I could to say, here's the truth about constitutional law, and being a young woman who was, um, who was in constitutional law and could articulate these subjects, I had opportunities and more and more doors opened. And I took advantage of every single opportunity, and I would encourage you to do the same. It doesn't matter if it is a group of five people or 10,000 people. I would rather talk to 10 people who are actually listening and want to learn than 10,000 people who just wanna get an Instagram selfie, right? That matters, because influence is education. And you never know who is listening. And as it turned out, a couple of years later, I got a call on a Sunday afternoon from a 202 number. And some of you may recognize that as DC. Well, I'm a Colorado girl, I'm a 303. So I was like, that's spam, woohoo, yes. (laughs) And I'm like, that's spam, it's a Sunday afternoon, who cares? They left a voicemail, thankfully I listened to the voicemail, and it said, Hi, Ms. Ellis, this is the White House operator. The president is reaching out to you. He would like to talk to you. Could you give us a call back when you have a moment? And I had, have you ever seen that movie, The American President? With, yeah, Michael Douglas and Annette Bening, when she's like making fun of it, she's like, oh, stop, you're just kidding me. That was my moment where I'm like, this is deja, I've seen this movie before. This is not real life. So I call back and I'm like, hi, this is Jenna Ellis. Um, I think you have the wrong number, but I wanted to make sure. And they said, oh no, uh, President Trump would like to speak with you. Could you hold on the line for a moment? (laughs) And I thought, oh my goodness, Lord, what are you doing? (laughs) And I thought to myself, this is the only time I'm gonna be able to talk to President Trump. I'm gonna tell him exactly what I think. (laughs) And he gets on the phone and he goes, hi, Jenna, how's it going? And I, hi, Mr. President, this is such a great honor. How are you? I'm really excited, you know, Um, totally fangirling. And he said, well, you know, I've seen you on media and you have this big, beautiful title, constitutional law attorney. I love it. I love it. It's huge, you know. And and I'm like, thank thank you. It's it's such an honor to, uh, you know, to represent truth. And he said, well, you know, I have a few questions to ask you. And I said, okay, and we talked for about an hour, and at the end of the call, he gave me an assignment, and he said, I'd really like uh, for, for your advice on this, uh, why don't you give me a call back? Okay, how? You know, and he's like, okay, just, just call the operator, they'll know. And, and I learned that's how you get a hold of the president, is you just call and say hi, I'd like to speak to him, and then apparently when he wants to speak with you, you'll get put right through. So I stayed up all night, I researched this, I called him back the next morning, he's like, oh, this sounds great, this is great, and, um, you know, I'm really excited to talk to you more. Um, are you in D.C. ever? Like, come visit, come see me. And I said, I will be there anytime you want. <laughs> so that was a Sunday. The next Wednesday, I walked into the Oval Office. (laughs) But it gets better, (laughs) it gets better, because this was the little girl from Colorado who thought, my life's dream is to be a prosecutor. Now, in the Oval Office, in front of the president, who stands up from the resolute desk which is part of American history that I love. And he walks over to me, he shakes my hand, and he says, Jenna, I think you're a brilliant lawyer and you work for me now. And I said, okay. (laughs) And then he looks at me and goes, how's that for the art of the deal? And I laughed and he said, okay. And and it went from there. And I moved from Colorado to D.C. and I was so privileged to be a personal counsel, counselor to the President of the United States and the greatest president that we have had in the United States. And let me tell you, if I had not gone through what I had, had I not gone to every single through every single open door that God gave to me. There is no way I could have planned that. There is no way that if I had thought how do I get to the Oval Office, I could have planned my way. Because it was God who established my steps and looking back over my life, I thought, wow, God had an amazing story for my life and it's not done yet by the way at all right but i learned that god doesn't waste time and he was preparing me at every step of the way because when i got into that job Let me tell you, there were people there that thought I didn't deserve to be there. Because I'm not the Harvard graduate. I'm not the, uh, you know, the political influencer that's been in D.C. 20 years that knows everybody. I mean, there were people, you know, do you know this person? I'm thinking, nope, but I'll go and Google them when I get back home. But I know the law, and I know the truth. And I'm willing to be an advocate at every turn. And I've told the president so many times, I will always tell you the truth, and I will always advocate for you. And there were many times uh, throughout my time being personal counsel to the president, and now um, I'm so thankful to still call him a friend, that people would tell him things that they wanted him to hear versus the truth, or the decisions they wanted him to make versus the options he truly had. So there were many times that people would, that he would call me, I would give him the legal advice. And then of course, if he asked for my opinion, I was happy to share that, often he did. But then inevitably, I'd get the phone call five minutes later saying, Jenna, what did you say to him? And I would say, I told him the truth. Sorry, (laughs) you know? And that is what motivated me. And that's what my life has been, has been, not my story. It's not our truth versus your truth, my path for myself, my influence. It was nothing at all that I did to plan my way. So when you asked me, how did you get here? I can truthfully tell you, it is his story. It is his story. Because I used to be one of you, and I still am, but I used to be a much younger, right? <laughs> so I used to be one of you who are in the fifteen to twenty-six age bracket, thinking, God, how can I use my voice for justice and now for truth? And I prayed the prayer of Isaiah six, eight, which it's when Isaiah has this vision of God saying, Who will I send? Who will go for us? And he says, Here I am, Lord, send me. That has been my prayer since I was your age. And let me tell you, don't pray that prayer unless you are prepared to go where he sends you. Because I had no idea where God was going to send me. And I'm so profoundly honored to be here today because of the Lord. And to have the story of my life be a testament to him and the wonderful things that he can do with even someone like me. So as you are looking around and you are thinking, I am not as pretty as the girl sitting next to me. I'm not as connected as that other person. I don't have as many followers. I don't, I don't take as many selfies. I can't, I can't, I can't. Let me tell you, God can. God can. So I'm gonna ask you again in closing, what motivates you? And I hope that your response to what motivates you will be always taking advantage of every opportunity you have to be a disciple of Christ, to disciple others, and to speak the truth. And it doesn't matter whether your perceived influence is small or great, we all have a story that God is writing for us. And he is going to use you in ways beyond your imagination, if you will only submit to him and say, your will, God, not mine. Because let me tell you, as hard as it is, and you know, you see so many wonderful women on this stage here, but like Abby Johnson before me, like my good friend Katrina Pearson last night, like so many others who are amazing, amazing women. And we see all the successes, right? We see uh, how, how we look now. But what you don't see is the struggles and the truth of people's stories and how they overcame. And let me tell you, God doesn't waste time and he will never waste a mistake that you made, a sin that someone else committed against you. All you have to do is say in every moment, will I choose God and his story or not. And I hope that you will choose him. Welcome back to Just the Truth, and thank you so much for continuing uh, with me to watch that entire story. And honestly, that was the first time that I have publicly shared uh, the extent of that story. And uh, it was actually a a very difficult thing to do, but I was very grateful to be able to impart uh, to these young women, um, hopefully, some meaningful uh, lifelong advice, which is to serve the Lord and just go where He leads and to make sure that you trust him with your story. So joining me now to discuss is my very good friend and a dear, dear Christian uh, godly woman who is a mentor in my life, Penny Nance, who is the president and CEO of Concerned Women for America. Penny, thank you so much for joining me.
2: Oh, it's an honor to be on with you. And oh my goodness, Jenna, I loved your speech. And I was just really grateful that you were willing to go deep and to really um, work and inspire young women who desperately in these days need a Titus two relationship. They need older women teaching them and challenging them um, to
1: influence their peers and to stand for the Lord to give their lives to the Lord. And I just really appreciated all of that. Thank you so much, and um, I really appreciate that, Penny, because you know as I as I stayed. Uh, from Thursday to then, of course, Sunday morning speaking at this conference um, to see all of these young women who really want to be influencers. They want to make a difference for the Lord to just encourage them that, you know, the path is not always easy. There's suffering involved, but, and the culture will Mm -hmm. tell us that being a victim is an identity. But as you know, just as well as I do, that Mm -hmm. we are more than conquerors through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to reject that victim identity and say, no, my Mm
2: -hmm.
1: whole identity is in Christ alone.
2: Wow, you're so speaking my language. This is the message I give over and over again to our Young Women for America leaders um, for CWA. And we have 75 chapters and growing. And what I say to them is, and I, I just did a panel out in Washington State. And one of the questions for me was, what would you tell your younger self, your high school and college self? And I said, honestly, it's the same thing I tell myself now. And that is my identity is in Christ. I am a daughter of the King. So anything else below that, even the really good things like mom or wife or uh, any success I've had in my career, All of that is subjugated to the fact that I am a daughter of the King, my identity is in Christ, and certainly the things we struggle with. And you and I have in common, you you were assaulted at 17. I was physically assaulted and a man attempted to rape me when I was pregnant with my daughter um, at 30 on a running path in Virginia and had to go through the court system like you and, you know, all of that. And, And I was given justice, praise God, as you were. Um, but it would be easy to wallow in that place, and the truth is, in in your in a life that is surrendered to Christ and in a, a right thinking way, and certainly we all have moments we struggle. Um, forgiving and giving it to the Lord, and recognizing that you. Recognizing that you are a conqueror, like you're not a victim. Victim is not branded on you for the rest of your life. Christ doesn't leave you broken. He brings healing and he brings redemption to the to to the the things that we do to ourselves. There's and you said this so well. I thought in your speech there are there's evil perpetuated on us by other people and by other broken people. And there's evil in the world. And then there's things that we do wrong ourselves. And we don't have to stay stuck in those broken places. The light and forgiveness of Christ brings it all together and gives us a healthy way to live. And so anyway, your your story is just so redemptive.
1: And yours is too, Penny. And I think that, you know, people like you that are willing to share your story. And of course, I, I knew that because you and I are friends. You talk about this openly. And that's what gives me courage to tell my story as well. And hopefully in telling my story, that encourages other young women. Because the statistics show, I mean, this type of uh, victimization happens to so many women. I don't think there's a single woman out there that hasn't either been personally Uh, victimized or know someone. I mean, this affects everyone. And to be able to take that stigma away and say, this is reality, but how do we look at it biblically? How do we move forward as... Uh, The the culture would like to talk about female empowerment, but the true empowerment comes from understanding and recognizing sin in the world and saying, how do we Mm -hmm. respond Mm -hmm. to it? How do we move forward as strong women without becoming jaded in future relationships, without letting it become who we are or rejecting future relationships or, or any of those types of ideas and concerns? And so with you being such a vocal advocate Uh, for yourself and for the Lord, um, for your story, which is truly, of course, his story. I think that is so incredibly Mm -hmm. empowering, truly, to younger women. And I'm so grateful for your influence in my life and for uh, the young women who look up to you. And um how how do you balance that in your life in uh ways that you can help young women uh, understand the difference between really um the the lie of feminism versus biblical female empowerment.
2: Well, again, I think it's what we talked about having everything in the right order. You know, the throne of my heart has to have God sitting on it. And it's always a, you know, a a war with self to try to take back control of everything. But, you know, as a and it's a normal psychological phenomenon when someone has suffered a, a, a something, an assault or something like what we've discussed, a trauma. It's easy to see the world as a horribly scary place. Right. And every every person is a potential you know predator. That's not the reality. There are great men in this world and you deserve that. You know, we I say to our young women, forget 50 shades of gray. You deserve a man who will love and respect you and who will be your life partner, who will be your best friend, who will protect you, who will um, link arms with you, will help support you when you know, when you need it, and will be the father of your children for the next fifty years. That's what you deserve. And don't settle for anything less than that. And so that's part of the message we're conquerors. And I also love the part of your story in that you took what hurt and turned it around in order to help other people and to be an advocate for those that, that are hurting. And so I think that's the other piece of it. You know, God has been so good. You know, there's the, the Bible verse about God restoring the years that the locust has eaten. Mm-hmm. Christ does that. That's real. And to find myself sitting in a chair in front of the Senate judiciary committee in front of Senator Charles Grassley as the chairman and Diane Feinstein testifying on behalf of the Debbie Smith act, which is government funds to clear off the backlog of the DNA test kits that are just left open around the country and states, and women don't get justice, in order to advocate for the victims of sexual assault, I don't think I, could have, I would have ever known to do that or been given the opportunity if I hadn't suffered the things that I've suffered. And so I, I just am so grateful that God restores and that I don't have to stay in that broken place that um, even though there are, certainly there's scars, and I'm sure that I know you have scars, there certainly are those, but, you know, the, the scars that make a difference are the scars in our Savior's hands. The fact that Jesus died for us, He loves us more than anything. And there's a path forward through brokenness. The light shines in the broken places and can redeem it, and we can come out of it, and we can be conquerors.
1: Yes. Amen to that. And, you know, in all of the things, good and bad, highs and lows, the one common thread is that he is faithful and we need to praise Mm -hmm. him Mm -hmm. in the low points through the suffering. And we, as much as we praise him in the good times, and that's the story throughout Mm -hmm. scripture. And that's something that I have learned in my life. Uh, One of my favorite Phrases that uh, was actually in a novel um, when Francine Rivers, who, who is a wonderful Christian author, uh, said in a novel one time, um, always trust what uh, in the darkness, what you have known to be true in the light. And I think that is mm. such a powerful message to say, we know that God is faithful. And so what we've seen in the light in the good times, we need to trust that path, even when we're going through dark times.
2: Mm, well said.
1: Yeah. Well, Penny, Absolutely. and I'm, I'm so sad that we're already almost out of time, but um, thank you so much for your story and for coming on to, um, to talk more about this. I think it's such an important topic for young women to understand their true identity in the Lord. So thank you for being such an example mm-hmm. and a role model.
2: Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you. You are a great role model for young women. I just appreciate your, tra- your transparency, Jenna, and I, I appreciate you as my Christian sister. So thank you.
1: Same, Penny, thank you so much. And you're right, the tightest two women, so thank you. Yeah, we'll see you soon. And uh, thank you so much for joining us here tonight.